Now, I'm, I'm looking forward um, to taking a look at what it would mean for us to do some neighboring. And, and I'm excited about what God is doing here through this community of people. Um, we have a great um, mission mindset here. And, you know, as was illustrated in the, in the bumper video, our culture and our day that we live in does not lend itself to being neighbors like it used to back in the good old days, right? And so go back a few years and it was more common for people to linger on their front porches, wasn't it? It, w- it was, it was uh, more common to have some front lawn conversations to do things like, you know, share some sugar and some eggs and some milk when that need arise, you know, or, or to, to know even, even, the, even to know each other's names. It was, it was a more common thing. And even beyond that, you know, to know each other, to know each other beyond the name. So it's so easy right now for many of us, we push the garage door, we drive the car in. And it's like goodbye forever, right? We're in our house. We're in our house for the evening. A friendly wave maybe when we see them as we drive in and never to be seen again. And so um, it's a different world and it's a different culture. And so last week, Pastor Aaron, if you were here, he was with us and he brought a word to us about the woman at the well who, when she had encountered Jesus, went everywhere and to everyone that she came across and she was saying, come and see and look what Jesus has done in my life. That was, that was the part of the story. And Aaron challenged us to do the same, to not back down from telling others. That was a part of, the, uh, of his challenge to us last week, welcoming people into the kingdom regardless of our fear. And we prayed at the end, if you remember, for Holy Spirit to empower us, to embolden us. And, and he does that. So in, in, I want to I share a quick story with you about um, how Holy Spirit works through us, um, sometimes without even our knowing. We, we have the warehouse over here. We talked about this last week, too. We talked to um, this space that we're in right now. Is our, it's a four. It's our four. It's intended to be our staging area for the youth ministry, bookstore over here, coffee shop over here. And, you know... So in the meanwhile, we're, we're partnering with some ministries to use this space back here, this big open warehouse that's behind us, for some different purposes. And one of the, the ministry leaders um, that we're partnering with that's using that space was in there this week, and he started telling me about how Destiny was very instrumental in pulling him back into his relationship with Christ, first of all, and even to his evangelistic calling. And so, um, long story shorter, the man had been part of a great church here in town, but he, he kind of fell out of fellowship for several reasons um, several years ago now when he got caught up in addiction. He got caught up in addiction to meth. Um, so that isolated, isolated himself to the point of dysfunction, um, including dysfunction of any kind of, of societal way. He had removed himself so far from society. He was kind of a, he was kind of a shut-in in, in his own house, and he lost the ability to connect with people. His, his drug addiction just really did this hard work on him. And uh, a few years down the road, he was able to start breaking free from that, and he started looking to reconnect with his faith and a faith community. But he didn't feel comfortable. He didn't want to chance the embarrassment of going back to his home fellowship. So this is what he started doing. He started visiting churches um, around town. And, but one thing is that he just couldn't get past this fear of people. It was like um, his ability to relate, his ability to communicate was just not there. And so he had this, this high-level fear. And so he went around town to several churches for a period of about a year. And he would go to the churches, but he wouldn't walk inside. He would park his car in the parking lot, and he would watch people go into the church building. 
And he would watch them go in, and he would, he would go there with the intent of going in the building, but his fear was winning. And he would watch, and he would stay there, and he would watch until about the service time, you know, and people would go in until about five minutes, and then he would take off, and he would turn around in his car and kind of defeat it again. And that was his story for, for about a year. That is until he came to Destiny. He parked over in the back lot of the park, Kmart parking lot right over here next to a dumpster and he watched people come into this building three weeks in a row he was here. Three weeks in a row he came, first time no-go, second time no-go. Um, but every time he came, he said that there was this guy, I don't know if this is you, Monty, I don't know if it's you, Steve, he said there was this guy that would walk out of the front doors about five minutes after the service had begun, his typical time of retreat. And, and this guy would walk out and he would do this cursory glance of the parking lot, almost like he was doing a security check. And he said, but when he did that, it was like, it was like these eyes that would, when he, when he made the glance over to where I was parked, it was like these eyes were peering into my soul. <laughs> Three weeks in a row. And, you know, he, he would do this thing where he'd shriek down in his car. And, and, but the third Sunday, he came back again and the guy did it again, walked out did the look, and this time after the guy peered into his soul and went back inside, he said it was like the Holy Spirit himself opened up his car door. He said his car door was open, and he said, I just found myself walking into the church. He, he walked into the church, and he sat in the back row back there. And this was the year 2009. Pastor Brent was up here. He was preaching a message about evangelism. Telling, telling the story of Apostle Paul and teaching about going and telling all the world about Jesus. So this immediately resonated with the man and he felt that uh, God had told him that he was to evangelize. So as he w walked in the room, you know, he's already feeling God's presence. Um, he's feeling a little bit empowered. And so, you know, Pastor Brent's talking about, you know, loving people, loving a neighbor. And then he said that his, his internal voice kicked into high gear and he started thinking to himself in the back row there, he started thinking, you'll never tell people about Jesus. It took you a year to even walk through the doors of a church. How do you think you're going to tell people about Jesus? And he started this internal conversation, you know, you're pathetic. How could you ever think that you would be an evangelist called by God when you are such a loser yourself? This is all the internal conversation that's happening in his head. And so here's the best part. As he's starting to have this conversation in his head, he's having this self-talk, as he's telling himself this, Pastor Brent is up here, and he stopped right in the middle of his teaching. He said, somebody here is wrestling with a crippling fear that is keeping you from what God is calling you to do. And God wants you to say this morning to you, he wants to say to you this morning that he knows your fear, but all you have to do is step out and trust him, and he'll make a way where it doesn't seem like there's a way. So the guy stepped out right out of the church doors <laughs> because, because that, was like, that was like too much. It was like, oh my Lord, what is going on, right? He, he stepped out of the doors and he's shaking, he's going home, he's, he's telling me this. We were standing right over here in the warehouse as he's telling me this. There was tears going down his eyes and of, and of course there was tears going down mine at that point. And, and, and he says, it was that moment though that propelled me and gave me courage to go back and to plug into my home church. And they welcomed me in. And I've got a great community of faith there that supported me through my recovery. And my wife serves on staff there now. And 
I'm the director of this evangelistic effort partnering with Love, Inc., that helps provide work and financial help and furniture to people need. So for his job now, he tells people about Jesus for his living. So isn't that, isn't that a great story? Isn't that amazing? So Holy Spirit empowers us when we don't even know it. He'll interrupt when we're preaching up on the stage. <laughs> and so, you know, reaching people with the love of Jesus, showing people who Jesus is, is at the core of who we are. It's, you know, it's what destiny is all about, Jesus at the center. And I'm so excited about what he has in store for us as we talk about what it means for us to share what Jesus has done in our lives. In the, in the year um, 2012, our family was just two years um, in the summer of 2010 is when we transitioned and kind of started our, our medical school journey for Deanna. And our family was living in Duluth, Minnesota, and we were attending a great vineyard uh, church there that had a deep impact on the city, rescuing people from trafficking. Very, their thumbprint was very much on the city. This pastor had a heart for the city, no holds barred. They had a skate ministry in the basement, um, a lot of next-gen ministry stuff happening, and I, I loved it. And, and I remember a message series that Pastor Ryan preached about. Um, he preached about this idea of neighboring after reading this book. It's called The Art of Neighboring. You have that next slide. The Art of Neighboring um, by the authors Dave Runyon and Randy, I don't know how to say his last name, F-R-A-Z-E-E, Frazee. So in fact, the, the ministerial was reading this book together and Ryan was a part of the group of lead pastors who began to get together and dream about what God wanted them to do together in their community. So in this, the passage that really kind of shaped a lot of their thinking is found in John 17. And it's where Jesus prays for himself and for what he's getting ready to go through. And this is Jesus' last recorded prayer before, um, you know, kind of giving himself up for the cross. And, and so he prays for his disciples and then he prays for all the believers. He prays for us, all the believers that lived at the time and all the believers that were to come. And his, his prayer is pretty interesting. Of all the things that Jesus could pray for, he prays for unity. And we've been on this subject, you know, uh, for this last month. You know, he prays that we would be one. And he says that when my people are one, that in some beautiful, mysterious way, people that don't know God are drawn towards him. And so as these pastors get together, some of them begin to think about this and, and, and dream about this idea for Duluth, um, their community. And so they decided to start holding some gatherings for pastors and for leaders. And as they, as they brought together other pastors from the community, they started to dream about how they could link arms. How could we be the body of Christ? You know, what would it look like for people that don't know God in our city to look at the body of Christ and say, these people are actually on the same team? <laughs> That's, that was the dream. And so as they started to do that, they realized that serving our community would be the best way to do that. And they also realized that they didn't know how to serve their community, maybe as well as they should have. And so they began to invite in different city leaders, uh, police chief, the mayor, um, the city manager, and all these different people would come in and they would spend time with this group of pastors and they would always ask two questions to these leaders. They would, they would say, what's your dream for our city? And if you could go in and wave a magic wand and change anything about our community, what would it be? Those are the two questions. And so the conversations that came out of that room inspired our pastor. They inspired pastors all over the community to do something. And, and the impact was felt so deeply, not even in the churches, but it was, there was newspaper articles about it. it was, I remember there being um, uh, 
some interviews with the mayor and some pastor uh, leaders in the town um, on the news channel. Um, I used to be able to find, find them, but Google uh, wasn't pulling anything up anymore. Um, so, but five years before, the author who wrote this book that we're referencing, he writes about a similar experience. This is where the idea came from. So they had brought the mayor um, of Arvada, Colorado into a room of pastors that had gathered. And, and so they had 24 lead pastors sitting in the room and they asked the mayor if you could wave a magic wand, you know, if you could change anything about our community, if you could direct us to mobilize all the people that we as pastors talk to in our congregations every week in any way, what would it be? And the mayor brought up this little piece of paper and he started to read down this list and he read off the kinds of things that, you know, you would kind of hope for, you know, that he would share. He said, you know, I want to live in a community where there's no isolated or elderly shut-ins. He said, I want to live in a community where there's no homeless kids, um, where there's no single moms living below the poverty line, where there's no financial debt. And, and he went on and on and on and he shared all these different things. And the pastors were all writing them down, trying to figure out what's the biggest issue here, what's the smartest way that we can serve our city. And he put this little piece of, of, of paper away, and then in closing, at the end, almost as if it was an afterthought, he made this comment, and he said, you know, if you want to have the biggest impact in our city, you would figure out a way to start a neighboring movement. And the, the, the pastors were hearing God say, through their mayor, to say, you know, you, you need to help people live out this text. And, and he said, the smartest thing that you can do is to start a neighboring movement. The smartest thing you could do is to take Jesus at his word and do the thing that Jesus said matters most. The, the, the mayor of their city is telling this, who's not even a believer. And so later on, the mayor and the city manager and the assistant city manager went on to share with the group and to say this. They said, here's our frustration. With local government leaders, we start all these programs. People call us all the time and they say, you need a program for this and you need a program for that. So we start all these different programs and we start a program for like, let's say elderly shut-ins and for two years it functions and it actually works. Then after two years, the funding runs out and then all those people's lives are the ones that go back to their same old normal and the same old issues that they had to start with. And what they shared is that the best way to actually care for people in need in our community is when the people that live around them do it. Because when that happens, people get cared for out of relationship and not out of programs. We've said this before, relationships always trump programs. Here's a city government telling this to a group of pastors sitting in the room. And so as they start to absorb what the leaders of their city were saying, they start to realize that there was a disconnect in the way that they were equipping the people who God entrusted them to live out the life that God wants us to live. So Dave Runyon, one of the pastors who was there that day and one of the co-authors of the book, remembers driving home that day from the meeting in Arvada. And he was praying. He had this thought. Jesus is a genius. <laughs> that may sound weird, but he said, I don't know why, but I'd never thought about the fact before that Jesus is being the smartest person that ever walked the planet, right? And so as he's driving home, he said, Jesus is a, is a genius. And he posed this question. Is it possible then that when you ask the smartest person who's ever walked the planet to boil everything down to one thing, is it possible that God gave us a strategic plan that could literally change the place that we live overnight? 
If everyone who is a follower of Christ lives out what Jesus says when he, when he was asked by the religious scholar, what is the greatest commandment? What was his response? His response was, you know, love God, right, with everything that's in you and love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. What would happen if every believer in the world decided right now that they're going to take that verse and take Jesus at his word? And so I remember the first time that this verse really hit me personally. I was serving as a youth pastor at our, our home church in Pier, and Deanna and I were involved in students' lives in, you know, in, in some deep and relational ways, as you'd hope you'd be when you're um, pastoring a group of, of students and helping them through you know, teenage hormones and dating relationships and bad grades, those kind of things. And we were doing outreaches, and we were playing music at different churches and outreach events. We were overseeing all this stuff at the church that Deanna and I worked for, and yet I wasn't being intentional about what was going on 20, 30, 40 feet outside my door. And I'd figured out a way to make that work in my mind. I asked God to change that in me, and it didn't happen immediately, but God's heartbeat for our city brought me to tears. A few weeks later, I was driving back into town after a, after a trip, and I saw the city lights. And just seeing the city lights, it was like God put his heartbeat in, in, inside of me for just that you know, minute for the city. And I, I had to pull off the side of the road because I was weeping so deeply. And so Dave, Dave Runyon talks about another instance, a, a bad moment that he had with a city leader. They had been going to the city leaders and saying, what's the issue? You know, what, what should we do to mobilize all these pastors and leaders? And this one lady, the assistant city manager, she kept on saying things like this. You know what you should do, pastors? You know what you should do with all those Christians? Why don't you get them to shovel the neighbor's driveway? How's that for relevant for this week, right? <laughs> and he thought to himself, but that's not sexy. It's not big. It's, it doesn't feel... So some of you that have been around for a while... You'll, re you'll remember that Pastor Deanna and I used to take the youth group to youth convention in Pure every fall. And um, one of the reasons I, I loved convention was that in the later years, they started having um, afternoon options for uh, youth groups to do service projects given to us by the city. And so one year, our youth group cleaned up uh, a public school's playground. Another year, we adopted a highway and we did that. I mean, really practical, you know, easy ways to serve our city. But one of my favorite years was the year 2008 when we had to cancel the trip because of snow, the bad weather. They, they were closing down the interstate, couldn't get to pier. And the three churches that were left here, we decided last minute to do our own convention at the snow uh, um, at, a, at a local hotel. And we called it Snow In 2008. Anybody remember that one? And so we were, we were at the hotel. Here's a pic of the, uh, of the kids and leaders who were part of the event that year take you back. The next picture, please. Next slide. The group that was uh, at the hotel that year. And um, for, the, for the last minute, we decided we wanted to do something too. But this was last minute, right? You can't just call up the city and ask what to do. So we rounded up as many shovels as we could possibly find. And we just started going door to door. And next picture, we... we um, go ahead and go to the next picture. We, we got shovels and we just went door to door and we started asking people. Um, we're part of a group of students. 
We'd ring the doorbell that want to love our city by serving. Can we shovel your driveway? No cost, no catch. Um, you don't owe us anything. We just want to serve. And so the reactions were pretty priceless. This is the group of kids that I was with that day. The, the reactions were pretty priceless. And most of the time, you know, people would ask more questions because uh, they didn't understand, you know, what are you doing out here? <laughs> and, you know, we, we got to tell them that we were from a group of churches here in town that love Jesus and were compelled to love our neighbors. And, you know, so, so many amazing stories from that day. I wish I had time to tell them. But so later on at these town meetings, they, they brought in this lady by the name of Vicki. She's a community enrichment specialist who came in. She starts sharing all the reasons why neighboring makes sense. And she starts talking about the fact that people who have close bonds with those that they live around, they live longer than people that don't. Um, that in neighborhoods where, where people know the first names of their neighbors, that crime is 60% less. Um, that when natural disasters occur and the city and the government systems are overwhelmed, who's the first responder, right? It's going to be your neighbor. So she starts to share all of these different things. And these pastors and leaders are sitting there in this room going, oh, my goodness, this neighboring thing makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and it's also, by the way, Jesus said that this is really important stuff. And so it started to sink in. And think about this. Is, is, there, is there a noticeable difference do you think between how believers treat their neighbors and non-believers? Yeah, how do we reconcile that with the fact that on one hand, Jesus says, if you want me to boil it down, just do this. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. If we only do one thing, love God and then love our neighbors. That's what we're supposed to do. So how did we get here with this huge disconnect? How did I get here? How did I end up, ever end up being a pastor serving at a church with my youth group and yet somebody who was not very intentional about what was going on in my neighborhood? So let's take a look at a very familiar text. It's found in Luke 10. And it's, it's easier for some of us who have grown up in the church be, to become inoculated to a teaching when we've heard it over and over. But this is one that we're looking at today. It's one of those things that we hear over and over and over again become easy for us to lose touch with the true depth and the meaning of scripture. And maybe, by the way, the reason that we hear something over and over and over again is because the truth in it is so deep and so rich. And so it's tempting sometimes to take verses and put them on bumper stickers and refrigerators and, and you know, t-shirts, but then not, not actually live it. And so we're going to pick up in Luke 10, verse 25, and this is what it says. Just then a religious scholar stood before Jesus in order to test his doctrines. And he posed this question, teacher, what requirement must I fulfill if I want to live forever in heaven? So this person comes in and he says, I've got this question. And Jesus does this on a number of occasions throughout the text. He has the person answer their own question. So Jesus replies, what does Moses teach us? What do you read in the law? The religious scholar answered, it states, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your passion, all your energy, and your every thought. And you must love your neighbor as well as you love yourself. Jesus said, that's correct. Now go and do exactly that and you will live. Think about how powerful that little phrase there is. Now go and do that and you will live. So, but look at this next phrase found in verse 29. It says, wanting to justify himself... <laughs> he questioned Jesus further saying, what do you mean by my neighbor? So this man comes to Jesus. 
He asks him a very simple, straightforward question, and Jesus gives him a very simple, straightforward reply. And he says, you're right. This is what the text says. Love God, love your neighbor. And the first thought that this guy has is, how do I get out of this? (laughs) How do I get out of this? Jesus, you don't know how weird the people are that live around me, right? I mean, he's thinking in his head, you don't know how much other great stuff I'm a part of. His first thought is, it says, in order to justify himself, how can I define this word neighbor? So he's looking for a loophole. Now that's 2,000 years ago, and luckily we are so much smarter and we have progressed so much, nobody in this room would ever do that. Well, I did. I looked for a loophole and I found one and had lived the vast majority of my life living in that loophole. That's how I got to a place where I could be involved in all this great stuff and ministry and outreach programs and not know the names of the majority of my actual neighbors. In the text, what happens is that Jesus takes this question of who is my neighbor and he does something amazing. He takes this definition of neighbor and he just blows it up and he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. So check this out. He, he knows that his Jewish audience is already at least somewhat neighboring with you know, their people in the same culture, but he takes the definition of neighbor from here and he's giving them the, kind of the graduate level of neighboring to this group. And he goes on and tells the story of the Good Samaritan. He says, listen, you know, when we... When you take care of somebody who is in front of you, when you meet some of their needs, the person who is right in front of you, that is neighboring. It doesn't matter who they are. It could be a foreigner. It could be a terrorist. That is neighboring. But here's how I read through that teaching. For most of my life, I looked at the story of the Good Samaritan and I thought, wow, you know what? Everybody's my neighbor. Everybody's my neighbor. And then I did this nifty little gymnastics move that I don't even know when or how I did it, but I just know that this is where I got to. As I started to think about the Good Samaritan and the fact that everybody's my neighbor, I just kind of made this little shift in my mind that I'm actually neighboring all the time, (laughs) right? And so that's kind of what this text is saying here, but here's the problem. When when we kind of make that, that switch there, when everybody is your neighbor, often nobody is, right? When we turn this into a metaphor, I mean, I had metaphorical love for my metaphorical neighbors and metaphorically things were going really well for me. (laughs) And, you know, in reality, there are people who are lonely and who are dying for a relationship that were living right across the street from me and I didn't even know their name. So in aiming for everyone, oftentimes we end up loving no one. And and I have learned through around 18 years of student ministry is that there's actually great value in going back to kindergarten. (laughs) Um, That maybe we should just start by simply drawing a circle around the place where God put us, where he placed us, and then start to work out from there. Now I know what some of you might be thinking right now. You might be thinking, Sean, you're not very good at executing the text, exegeting the text. You know, if you go back and you, thank you, <laughs> thank you for that one clap. If you go back and you look at that Good Samaritan story, what it says clearly is that the person who I work with, 
who I reach, when I reach out to them and have a relationship with them, that is my neighbor. The other parent that's on my kid's soccer team or the baseball team or whatever, when I have a relationship with them, that is neighboring. When I'm on the other side of the world and I, I give a kid, you know, a, a clean water to a child who's thirsty, that's neighboring. And if you're thinking that, I want you to know something. You're right. All of that is neighboring. That's what Jesus says. All of that really is neighboring. But here's the deal. That doesn't make the person right across the street any less of a neighbor. That's what I needed to, to learn myself. And that's how I had started to live my life, devoid of them. So how can you mobilize a church and how do we equip people to be great neighbors? How do we do that? So I want to give you a couple tools that will hopefully challenge you. I know it deeply challenged this introvert at heart when I first heard my pastor back in 2012 share the message based on this same book. Your neighbor is basically one of three things, right? They're either a stranger to you or an acquaintance of yours or there's somebody that you're in relationship with that you know. So how do we help us move down that line? First up, knowing somebody's name is a big, big deal, right? There's, there's a huge difference between, hey, bro, and hey, Bob. It's significant, yet this is a very small thing that we can do, and the fruit on the end, other end is worth the effort. So, and so one of the resources that this team developed is this little tool. It's called the block map. So take a look at the block map. It's on the front of your bulletin. I printed it on the front side of it for you. And you'll see a little you are here right in the middle of the map. Now I have an exercise for you. So if you have a pen, make sure you pull that out, grab a pen, or if you need to do this mentally right now, you can do that as well. But um, I want you to start writing the names of the people in the eight closest households to you. If you have an apartment or a condo, just do the closest in proximity to you. If you're a student, I want you to think about the eight closest lockers to you. That's the way I preached it for 18 years in youth ministry. Those that are sitting next to you in homeroom class. And you know, also, I, I, and I know your, neighbor, your neighborhood doesn't look like this graphic, but when you walk out your front door, um, think about the eight closest households to where God has placed you. That's what I want you to do. Just start to write down their names. Now, don't cheat by asking your spouse. I know some of you have already done that. <laughs> Don't cheat. Don't cheat by taking somebody that you know that's 16 houses away and putting them in your eight. I want you to write the eight that are right next to you. Just the, the eight closest households. Go ahead. I'll give you some time. Wait just a minute. Now, a lot of you are either done writing or you're just all doing this mentally, right? <laughs> okay. See a few of you still writing? That's good. Okay. You can keep writing if you need to. Just for fun, I want to do a little survey. <laughs> 
If you can name off the neighbors in the eight closest households or lockers or whatever it is, your proximity to you, would you, would you be so bold to raise your hand, please? <laughs> All right. Woohoo. I think we have one. Two? We have two. Woohoo. Let's give them a big round of applause. Three, four. We got four. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, interesting thought. So statistically, what they found out is that the vast majority of us, the vast majority of any person living in the United States can't even name four of our actual neighbor's names. So now I'm not a philosopher and I'm not an expert on love, but I do know this much, that in order to love someone, it's helpful to know their first name. Am I right? <laughs> And so when we first did this, I put, I put this block map on our fridge in Duluth, and I've actually got some of these. These are magnets that we had printed out for this series. I want you to, every family to be able to take one of these home. I put a block map on our fridge in Duluth, and this was a new neighborhood for us. You know, we remember, we had just moved, and we were actually, in this point, we had moved after we got to Duluth, so this was like a brand new neighborhood when we, when we started this series. And so I told my pastor, this is not fair, <laughs> but we had just moved our family into this big, beautiful house not far from Lake Superior, and the pastor started prompting us to love our neighbors, and it challenged me to my core, partly because I'm just not the kind of guy that naturally goes up and starts conversations with strangers. It's not, it's not my personality, but I saw all the blank squares on this thing, on my block map, and I thought to myself, I'm gonna do something to fix it. And so I remember going up to one of my neighbors there, and he was working on his snowblower, and, I, and I, I went up and I started a conversation, asked him what was wrong with his, you know, snowblower, and we exchanged names, and before long, I found myself, we would chat it up every time we pulled into the alleyway and we saw each other. And I began to learn his story. And he had lived there a long time. He started helping me out, fill out the other names because he knew the other names. So he might have cheated a little bit there. But he started telling me the story of the neighbor right next to me who was dealing with an illness. And so that prompted me to go over there and, you know, do some ministry in the way that we knew how. Let's, let's, bake, let's bake some cookies. Let's do something just, just simple and practical and just go over there and say, hey, we're, we're your neighbors um, we love you. And then she ended up telling us her story. And we got invited in and we got to pray with her. And, you know, so I began to learn Mr. Snowblower guy's name. <laughs> he began to learn mine. And we began to learn each other's stories. His name was Ed. And here's the deal. A lot of my neighbors and all the places I've been, I've met them before. I just didn't think that they were important enough to retain their name. And so when we put the block map up on the fridge and we started to fill in some of those names, it did a couple things for me. One, it gave me this motivation, <laughs> this prompting that I'm gonna walk across the street and I'm gonna eat crow if I have to and I'm gonna learn their names and I'm gonna write it down. Some of you, it's, it's nice to have a little task to do because you're task-oriented, right? For me, it helped me that way. It was a motivation for me. So I'm actually going to retain it because this is what it all comes down to. It's, it's about that moment where you're sitting in your front yard or when you're driving home, when you see that person and you know in your gut that God wants you to know them and to take that next step. 
And so it's about taking that first step towards them. It's about taking that first step. So it's about going, all right, I see them going to their mailbox. I see him in his front yard and walking over and just saying, hey, I I can't believe this, um, but I can't remember your name. I know you've given it to me three times, you know, or hey, this is so silly, but I've lived next to you for three years and we've never really met. Um, You know, we just wave. Let's change that. And, and that's it. If you just take that first step, if you just do that, and then you go back and you maybe write it down to help you remember, I will warn you, this will compel you to a whole new way of living in your neighborhood. It goes from the wave to, hey, man, to, hey, Mike, to, hey, Mike, how's you and your family doing? To, hey, Mike, I saw that your son moved back in. Is everything all right? I know a bit of the story, you know, can we pray for you? To, um, hey Mike, I actually have something in my garage. Can you come over and help me? This is a little bit, I need some help, right? It, it takes time. It takes time. But it starts with taking that first step, right? You gotta know their name. It starts with that moment where you start to think about this grid and you start to think about how many blanks there are on there. And what Jesus said for us to do and for how we are to live. And it begins to match those up and to reconcile those. And maybe some of you are already neighboring experts. I know somebody who is a neighboring expert. My father is a neighboring expert. And he knows not only the the eight closest in proximity, he knows all of Somerset. And, and, and when, it, when it snows, there were times, maybe when he was a little bit younger, that, that he, would, he would shovel or plow the whole neighborhood's sidewalk <laughs> and their driveways. But, you know, maybe you're that person and you know the stories and you're involved in their lives. Maybe God's speaking to you about how much further God wants you to extend that circle. If God wants you to move that circle, but you've got a neighborhood anointing, you've got an evangelist anointing. If you do this, though, it will ruin you in a really, really, really good way. There's nothing quite like making your neighborhood your mission to love people. This is simply about challenging us as the body of Christ to start making some small steps to be more present in our neighborhoods. So I'm going to challenge you to to try this little experiment. Let's just try this and see what happens. So in this little block map, you know, you might have started on your bulletin to write down some names. But so... First, if you have some blanks there, I want you to make it your mission to start learning some names. Now listen, I've been in my new neighborhood out there in Box Elder now for six months, maybe a little less. And I'll tell you, I know three names right now where I'm at. I know I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage, but no excuses. I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage because there are not a, there's just the way where, where our house is, there's not a lot of people around us. But how many of you know this? How many of you have some neighbors where, where I, I, I saw them, I saw the, the we, we live in this duplex unit, and I, I saw this lady that lives next to us one time the day I was moving in. And I've seen vehicles come and go, but I have not seen her one time since then. And that's, that's some of the culture that we live in, right? Um, it's just some, what happens when they pull into the garage. 
And, and so that can be difficult. And that's why we have to be intentional when God says to love our neighbors. And just the way uh, my neighborhood is, if I want to get the, the eight closest to me, I've got to get outside of my house a little bit. I've got to do some walking, which is fortunate because I, like to, I have a dog <laughs> and I have to walk my dog. So I have to get out and do some walking to, to get to, to my nearest eight. But here's the thing. Learn those names. Learn those names. There was something so beautiful that happened. We, we lived in it uh, for a short time. We lived in this community of, of 300, Buxton, North Dakota. And it was like going back 100 years in time. <laughs> everybody knew everybody's name. And of course, when we moved into town, um, the, uh, the population tails tipped because we were a big family. And so what happened when we first moved into town is that the, the neighbors on our block, I kid you not, they invited us over for a block party the first week that we were there. They invited us into their garage, they had a meal, and that first week we met, we met everybody. Everybody knew our name. It was a beautiful, amazing thing. There was, there was something, you know, there was something about um, living in that type of, of atmosphere for that time. We were there for two years. It was like, um, I, just, I just did not have any reservations about my kids driving their bike anywhere in town <laughs> because I knew everybody and everybody knew me. And there's, there's something beautiful that happens when you know your neighbors. And so step one, learn a name, learning a name. This is about learning a name. Step two, let's take it a step further. Learn something about them. Right, we talk about knowing people, getting face to face. Well, this applies, same principle applies here. Learn something about them. Learning a name is, is a good first step, but it's not our goal. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big deal but it's, it's more important to learn something about them. So learn what they do, learn about their family, start learning their kids' names. Then the third thing, finding out what they're dreaming about. You know, getting to really know somebody, something that they're passionate about, find out about it. And then so when something happens, here's, now imagine what would happen if, if just everyone in just this church and just this community of people did that. Can you imagine what would happen if every household says, you know, I'm going to learn and retain the names of the people that God has placed right around me. I'm going to learn about them and I'm going to get to know them in a deeper way. There's, there's another text that I want to share with you. Paul is in Athens, and we're, we're wrapping this up. He's talking to the Greek men and the women there. He's standing right be below the uh, Acropolis and Mars Hill. And this, this text can be foundational for us as we step out. I want to leave this with you today. Brent, you can come up. This is found in Acts uh, chapter 17, verse 26 and 27. From one man, Adam, he had made every man and woman in every race of humanity and he spread us over all of the earth and he set the boundaries of peoples and of people and nations determining their appointed times in history now there's another translation that i want to pull out here it says it a little bit more in the language that we're talking today go ahead and put up that next slide i like this it says god decided exactly when and where they must live. Back to the other translation, verse 27. He, he has done this 
so that every person would long for God, feel their way to him and find him for he is the God who is easy to discover. So here's what the text says. It says that you have been placed in your neighborhood, in your place of residence, in your school hallway, in your homeroom for a very, very specific reason. That God puts you there and he put the people around you there so that, and I love the posture that's applied here. It's so that when the people around you begin to reach out for God, that they will have handles to grab onto. You live in your neighborhood for maybe a different reason than you think you do. <laughs> God placed you there for your neighbors. It's not because of the school district or how many bedrooms you found in your house or the curb appeal or any of those things. It's because God puts you right there. And if you let this sink in, it will change the way that you drive into your neighborhood and you drive out. It will change the way that you see people that you live next to. And can I say this? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're going to or even have to be best friends with everyone that is your neighbor. Some of your neighbors, guess what? They don't want that. You're probably, maybe after you move in, you won't even see them. They're busy and they, they don't have time for that relationship with you. And that's okay. But guess what? Some of your neighbors are thirsty. They're in want for real relationship. And they might be the ones that you least expect. What would it look like for everyone in our community to say, I'm gonna learn and retain the names and get to know the eight people that live around me, where God placed me, where God put me. Can you imagine the impact? We're not talking about hundreds of people. We're not even talking about thousand people that get touched. We're talking about thousands of people, of households that get touched if each one of us in this room makes a commitment to know and love our neighbors. And honestly, there's not a church that I've been in that's better situated than this one to do this. Because we have a bunch of people here. We have a bunch of people here, a bunch of leaders here that know that what you do in your front yard matters. It counts. It counts as much as what you do in, when you volunteer over there in the children's ministry room. It counts as much as what you do when you volunteer and serve on a team, a ministry team here. As much as what you do if you show up and you're a part of any ministry in this building, what happens in your front yard when your neighbor, when we learn names, is a very, very, very real ministry. It counts and makes a big difference. And I'm really blessed to be a part of a community like this. But what if we became even more intentional? What if we put this up on our fridge and let it challenge us to get to know some people? Let's stand. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how our culture's love affair with busyness has taken us out of the culture and, and out of the culture of neighboring. And we'll talk about, you know, our fears, which are very real. But we're going to talk about why this is important and why this is important to, to dig into. So Father God, we, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we want your heartbeat. We want your heartbeat. 
So Lord, we just offer up ourselves this morning and we say, um, Lord, help us to love our neighbors. First and foremost, God, we love you with everything that we are, with all that's within us. And God, I, I think it's a natural response. Lord, the, the more that we know you, the more that we become like you, the more you help us to love those that are around us. God, help us not become blind to those that are right around us, to those that are right outside of our door. Let us not just think of the mission field that's across the border or outside of this town, but let us think of the mission field that is right at our door. God, let this not be trite. Let this not be some religious act, but let it be led by love. God, we thank you. We thank you. Holy Spirit, continue to empower us. Lord, I pray for more stories. Like the story of the man whose life was interrupted, was maybe even rescued. Lord, and you called him back in to tell more people about you. God, I pray that you'd give us those stories and you'd speak to us in ways that would free people in your mighty name. If you're here this morning with nobody looking around, every head bowed and every eye closed, and you've never uh, had a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you into that relationship this morning. God is calling you into a family that we've been talking about this morning. We've been talking about reaching out and you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm just, I've, I've never had this walk. I don't, I don't even know what it looks like. What it looks like is a heavenly God that sent his son down to this earth, give everything to the point of death on the cross to pay for your freedom from sin, for healing, for restoration, for life bigger and better than you've ever dreamed of. Not devoid of hurt or pain, but a life that you can live with a, a God who is faithful and who's always there. If you want to say yes to that for the first time this morning with nobody looking around, would you raise your hand? We just want to pray with you this morning. Is there anybody here? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, Father God, we seal this time in your mighty name. Amen.